Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for being here. We are in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 18 through 20. This ends chapter 1 and resumes what began in the beginning of the chapter with, with Paul talking to Timothy about a charge. He gives him a charge. And that's kind of introducing what's taking place here. There's false teaching going on in the church. And Timothy's being sent there around 62 AD to stop this false teaching. Uh, it would appear, or at least be worth considering, that this kind of is, is becoming Paul's or Timothy's home. Timothy's kind of being, he's going to come and go, he's going to visit Paul in, in prison in 2 Timothy. There's been other times that he's going to travel and, and do things with Paul. But it looks like this is going to, he's being placed here as this is your permanent location. And because in, 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 in 2 Timothy, he's still there. And church history or tradition teaches that he stayed there and ends up being martyred there in Ephesus. So this charge is not just to go in there and stop false teaching and then move on to another location, uh, but maybe to stay there and oversee the church for the years to come. And so that's what you see there. Real quickly, I'll read through it, but uh, top of page one, you've got one, two, three, four bullet points, and chapter one, verses three through seven is the charge. Uh, that he's going to resume, see the fourth bullet point, chapter 1, verse 18 through 20, he's going to come back to that charge. In fact, that word charge is going to be used three times, twice in that first section, and then once again today in verses 18 through 20. And in chapter 1, verses 3 through 7, he says, charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. And that different doctrine is that word we, we talked about last week on Monday night. It means heterodoxy. Meaning it, it's the, 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 it, it means different doctrine, different teaching. Uh, the aim of our charge, this charge that I'm leaving with, is love that issues from a pure heart, a good conscience, and sincere faith. And those three, especially two of those, pure heart, good conscience, and sincere faith, are going to come up again in today's verses as being the key. You've got to have these two things. And basically, a good conscience and uh, sincere faith is these two things sincere faith means true not hypocritical it means you have true doctrine correct doctrine and then a good conscience that's where we'll talk about this more later that is is your your decision making or your ethical that's what you, you you decide what's right and what's wrong in other words you've got the correct doctrine now with this frame of reference i'm going to execute my life this is belief this is behavior. And that, 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 there's no way of slicing and dicing this when people say, well, you know, this is just about Bible teaching, more and more Bible teaching. But no, throughout the Bible teaching, it's what you believe then becomes your conscience on how you decide what you do. So you've got bad doctrine, you're going to have bad behavior. You've got correct doctrine. If you're really a Christian and you're really doing Christianity with the Spirit of God, you're going to have truth. And that truth is going to affect your decision-making and how you behave. So you can't, there's, you know, Bible teaching and behavior are not like, well, two separate things. This Bible teaching is affecting your mind, your brain, your viewpoint, and that's going to determine your action. So you can have corrupt behavior, but that traces back to corrupt beliefs. You can have no beliefs and say, I'm just going to be a Christian. Well, you're like hanging in space. I remember... A, a sky hook. My, my, my dad teased me when I was a kid about a sky hook. He said, well, you just shoot this in the air and it'll hang, on, hang in the sky. And it's like, or, you know, you'd use, how do you build that? Well, you use a sky hook. And it's as a kid, I'd try to figure, what a sky hook? Well, it was, you know, obviously a joke. You can't hook something in the sky. Well, you can't take behavior and hang it on, well, I don't really need to know the Bible. I'll just be a good Christian. 
Well, so that's, that's, a, that's, a, it'll, that's a, a fallacy, like a skyhook. You can't just hang your values on what? What, do you, what is it? Okay, nonetheless. That's what he talks about in that, uh, that part about they've abandoned a pure heart, good conscience, and a sincere faith. The second section where he, it seems like he de- deviates, he's not going to compare the law and the gospel. He's going to say the law is good. And think about the law of Moses. It's good, but the law is to determine what is unlawful. And the, the purpose of the law is to show sin and cause you not to say, okay, if I just fix this and follow the law, I'll get rid of my sin. No, you, ha- you are steeped in sin. You're stuck in sin. The only thing the law does is shine light on this. We talked about a mirror, or we talked about some kind of a, a, a thermometer. It reflects, you have a problem. And now it's like, well, how do I find the answer? And that compares to the gospel in that second section. And it, it, as you see, chapter 1, verses 8 through 11, uh, everything the law tells you not to do those, those actions are contrary to sound doctrine or good teaching. Once again, good teaching will teach you this answer. The answer is Jesus is your Savior and His Word. We'd call it apostolic doctrine or the faith renews your mind and it delivers you from uh, this sin. You're delivered from it, justified in Christ, and as your mind is renewed, you begin to learn to walk in the truth and you're delivered from sin called sanctification, it justification in Christ, and then sanctified by growing at this phase in history. And that's the second part. The law is good if it's used lawfully. What's it good for? Show you you've got a problem, which then leads you to Christ. The second part, uh, or third part, we talked about this last week, chapter 1, verses 12 through 17. Christ Jesus, he says, appointed me, meaning I have been appointed for this very purpose. I've got divine backing. I've got a divine message. I'm divinely empowered, which Paul is going to now, throughout this book, be transferring that or pointing to Timothy saying, so are you. I've been appointed by Jesus Christ to present this message, and Timothy, I'm now charging you with the same thing, and it's going to get in today. You've got the same revealing or revelation or uh, indication that God is with you that I've had. Just because I met Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus, we're, we've got the same thing. Paul can always look back to Damascus on the road and say, well, I'm pretty sure I'm an apostle. I got, you know, interrupted right there and met the Lord. So uh, that's, that's absolute. Well, Timothy's going to go back today and talk about the prophecies once made about you. Timothy, you've got a very similar experience. Don't doubt yourself. I'm entrusting you. You should be doing this. And it's going to be a sign of encouragement. Uh, then that comes to chapter 1, verse 18 through 20. And uh, I'll read that here. Now, in the NIV, I'll read verse, uh, oh, let's begin in, where do we want to begin? I'll begin in verse 12 and read to the end of the chapter, because we're only talking about 18, 19, 20, three verses, which could take us two weeks. I won't let that happen. Okay, chapter 1, verse 12, in the NIV, I thank Jesus Christ. Now, he, Paul, this is going to be the third and fourth sections of chapter 1. I thank Jesus Christ, our Lord, who has given me strength that he considered me faithful, appointing me to the service, even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man. I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me in abundance, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. And here here is a trustworthy saying, or faithful is the word, and here's the statement that deserves full acceptance, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Point of doctrine. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. 
That is foundational. He uses that. And then he goes on and adds to it, of which I am uh, uh, the worst. I'm looking for my place here. Uh, uh, safe sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy. Now, this is interesting. So that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. So with that idea, when Paul goes out with his message, it's like he is the prototype. How far can Jesus' salvation reach? Hmm. Well, I was a good Jewish boy. I always followed the law, and he came, and I accepted Christ, so that was pretty easy for me. But how bad are you? Well, Paul could say, well, okay, I was killing Christians. I was coming against the gospel. I was blaspheming God. I was against Jesus Christ. And guess what? He saved me. He says, I can work with this. So on that spectrum, how far are you? And Paul, and he says worse. He's putting himself, and again, in our minds here, well, I can think of some worse sins. In Paul's mind, no, you can't. I'm, no matter where you're sinning, you can't get any lower than I am against the gospel. I'm killing Christians. I'm trying to stop Jesus Christ. That's, that's the bottom of the, uh, the levels. And Christ, or Paul says, that's an example for all who would believe. He saved me. Okay, that's, part, that's the end of that part there. And then he ends it by saying, chapter 1, verse 17, Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Now he returns to the charge he began in the beginning of the chapter, and he says it again, verse 18. Timothy, my son. Now, does that sound familiar? That's how, what he was saying earlier in chapter 1, verse 3. I give you this, NIV says, instruction. That's the word charge. In keeping with the prophecies once made about you, so that by following them you may fight the good fight, holding on to, here it is again, faith and a good conscience truth and correct behavior uh holding on to faith and a good conscience then he says some which refers back to certain people or certain persons have come against this now he says some that's that same certain some have rejected these rejected what truth and behavior they've rejected good doctrine and they've rejected good behavior there's nowhere in here i repeat it again there's nowhere in here well this is just about learning bible information no some have rejected bible information and they've rejected correct behavior in their life they've rejected these talking about faith and a good conscience and shipwrecked their faith um now again naming names among them are hymenaeus and alexander it's interesting because who are these guys well Eli Hymenaeus is mentioned a second time later on, and Alexander is, could be mentioned two other times also. So we can follow up on Hymenaeus and Alexander. Uh, they're not just like, uh, again, we've got to be careful. This doesn't make direct connection, but they're, they're both still in Ephesus later on. They're both still involved in opposing Paul. So it's at least reasonable to think that Hymenaeus and Alexander are going to be mentioned again, and we can show you those verses. And we'll look at those if I hustle. Among these certain people are some that have rejected the doctrine and rejected good moral behavior are Hymenaeus and Alexander. And these aren't pagans. These aren't priests at the Ar temple of Artemis. Of course, they wouldn't be. They'd have to be women because that would be women or the priests at Artemis temple. These are elders in the church of Ephesus. They're meeting and teaching their doctrine in, amongst... That's what, that, these are who Paul's supposed to... Or Timothy's supposed to be stopping. Hymenaeus and Alexander... Whom, now again, here's a crazy verse. 
whom I have handed over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. It's like, whoa, I mean, we could spend all day. What is that? He says, well, I'm going to use God's enemy here, or God's going to use his enemy uh, to not destroy these guys. But notice again, and it's actually in the Greek, to be taught not to blaspheme. In other words, it's going to involve discipline. We're going to go to a verse in 1 Corinthians where it talks about someone being handed over to Satan for the destruction of their flesh so their soul may be saved. These guys are being, God is handing them over, or Paul, through God, are handing them over to Satan to be corrected. So Satan is to come in and do his worst work of destroying them in his kingdom, where these, apparently these individuals are going to be like, oh my gosh, I've got to get back to the gospel uh, and, and, and recover. Uh, and so that's the purpose. Of, it's not just the, he's not sending them to damnation. That would be in the future. He's sending them over to Satan, and it's like, hey, you're no longer protected by God. Let's just see what you like about Satan's activity in life and how, how dark it's going to get before you return. You, you've all have heard of individuals, you know, people who maybe never came to Christ and it got so confusing in their life that they eventually came, or they were in the church or were Christians. They went out and they re- rejected Christ, and it got so confusing that it's like they had to come back. And that, that would be something similar. We'll talk about that and give you some verses but you can see there's a lot of things going on in these three verses. It's like th- uh, three short verses, but, well, six pages of notes, so here we go. <laughs> so here you have the English Standard Version, page one, with the Greek below it, so you can kind of refer to see the words. And the English Standard Version, I, I think, is a, a better translation of these verses than the NIV, uh, you know, and you can decide. So here it is, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18 this charge i entrust to you both the words charge and entrust are important to you timothy my child he calls him his personal name here three times in the very first verse here and then later on in the letter he says timothy and again my child and remember my child would refer that he's he's led timothy to faith he's taught timothy's doctrine and i want to explain say this so i don't forget timothy understands paul's doctrine he can teach paul's doctrine he believes paul's doctrine so that some would say well you know this doesn't sound like a and there's critics of course of this not being an authentic letter from paul because they're higher textual critics and they're a lot smarter than the average person uh but anyway uh they uh say well this doesn't sound like a letter from paul because he's not explaining the gospel like he does in galatians or ephesians like no, he's writing Timothy, who has, tr- I mean, it's like he doesn't need to explain because Timothy is being given the church. He's handing his, Paul's responsibility is being entrusted to his son, Timothy. Oh, I should pray, before I give you the church, I should probably explain to you the gospel. It's like, well, he doesn't have to tell Timothy the gospel because Timothy is like a mirror of Paul. I, he's acting out the gospel. He's heard Timothy teach the gospel. Timothy's not a false teacher. He doesn't need corrected. He's on, he's on board. He's on the same page. And so th- that's a very, very lousy accusation against the book of First Timothy. Well, it doesn't sound like a letter to Paul. Well, no, he's writing to Timothy who doesn't need corrected. He's being left with the cor- command to correct other people. So that's not a problem. Anyway, Timothy, my child, in accordance, and this is a great verse again, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you now where are these prophecies what are these prophecies and again did they happen at a moment like when he was saved when he was commissioned did they happen over a period of time we'll take a look at that 
previously made about you and he says according to the pre prophecies previously made about you that by them by these prophecies you may wage the good war or the good warfare war in the greek war the good warfare the idea there is you know the prophecies that were divine now this is risky dangerous stuff in the western church you, you really don't want to go there today uh, on a really flimsy you know because it could get really crazy and dark uh, but in this pure setting with apostolic oversight and other elders of the church prophecy had been given to timothy about his gifting and we don't have the written out prophecies but something about his gifting something about his his future something about his position in the church and, and promises of divine intervention and it's he, he, because Paul, timothy knows those prophecies I, he was there he heard them and it, somehow they've been something that they've recorded or they've handed out. Now, like remember that it's like i can't remember what was said it's like paul says recall them we we know what was said by the power of the spirit of god about you in the past now with that in mind hang on to those remember those and engage this warfare knowing you are going to be victorious you are directed by god in other words there's something about those prophecies that will encourage timothy that when he gets to a point of of uh, opposition where he doesn't gonna isn't gonna win or or depression or discouragement or what do i do hey remember the prop what's the prophecy say it says you win and i'm not sure what the prophecy was or that you are called to do great warfare that you're a mighty warrior in god stop the false teachings for timothy is being given two things here one paul's confidence timothy my son i'm giving you this responsibility not because i i hope you can make it because you're the man i think you're the man for this position and also remember the prophet god thinks you're the man so your apostle your god thinks you're the right right place right person and remember those and he says right here that by them you might wage uh the good warfare so here we go look at these words uh, point one the word charge means instruction or a command again i said it before it resumes it's also used twice already in verse three and verse five uh, it resumes that idea of reason i'm leaving you here is i'm giving you this charge and the charge is on point b there two things to stop false teaching he's supposed to stop the false teachers and he's supposed to do the sound doctrine so the things he's supposed to stop okay i'm scribbling there he's not just supposed to be stopping he is shut him up but also replace that and keep preaching this right here and so those are his two responsibilities is oppose the false teachers and he calls it a war and i will say as in passing it's going to come up again later when he talks about timothy being a soldier or fighting the good warfare uh, there's several places that's used in the new testament but you know what which book has the breakdown of the armor of god it's ephesians 6 so it's right here to this church of ephesus paul's already written with timothy's oversight while he was in prison in, in in rome he wrote back to the ephesians lists the armor of god and now when he gets out of prison he drops timothy off and says fight the good warfare in other words does he need to tell timothy about the armor of god one no it's already written it's written to the church that timothy's going to and it's possible timothy was in the room with him while he was writing that maybe delivered the letter so timothy 
the, Timothy doesn't know the armor of God. It's really hard to imagine Timothy is unfamiliar with the teaching of the armor of God, especially since it's right here. So when he says, wage the good warfare, uh, we, we should understand, he, they understand what he's talking about. Uh, page two, the word entrusted, it means to commit to in a very personal way. Uh, the words are, it's a compound word, para, meaning right or close beside, and then to place or to put. So I'm, entrust, I'm taking this, Timothy, I'm entrusting you. I'm placing from, this is from my side to your side, and it's something I'm entrusting. He's handing him, in a sense, his, his ministry in Ephesus. I mean, there's really no doubt about it. Timothy, this is yours. Uh, and in this verse, Paul provides Timothy with two reasons or motives, and that's what I've mentioned already. Number that's point three is Paul and the prophecies. Paul is, knows that Timothy's able, but also there's prophecies that have told you this is where you were going. And I, I mentioned earlier, I, I believe this is possible today. Obviously, that that God can give a person direction or a word or confidence uh, through some kind of prophetic gift. Uh, but at the same time, once you, once you open that barn gate, if you go back to an old illustration, it's like all the horses get out. It's like everybody's prophesying. Everybody, it's, like, and it, it's like truth is truth. But even here, sound doctrine, what's the problem? The false doctrine. So the minute you say Paul has, Timothy is referring to Timothy's prophecies, well, what's got to be right beside that? Just unlisted, un, uh, innumerable crap uh, of just words and illogical and, and people making stuff up it's like so and, and you know it, it takes a level of maturity it takes a level of discernment uh, and if you're anxious to be led astray you're going to end up here it's like someone speaks a word of prophecy over you it's like just be just be very very careful but at the same time you have it right here that there is words of encouragement that come not just from the Word of God, not just from people around you, but God can speak a word to you that you know this is what God has called you to or what God is. I mean, how many pastors are out there or people in ministry that they know for some reason, if it be a word, if it be uh, 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 something in their heart that they're committed to, that they know what they're supposed to be doing. And, and it's like, and they're not going to stop. Missionaries on a mission field. It's like, are you sure? Do they have a prophetic word? Uh, they may not have a prophetic word in the sense that Timothy had a prophetic word, but they've got something in their heart that they know. Now, this, this is where I'm supposed to be. I'm not going to quit. This is where I'm going to live and die on this mountain. Uh, and that would be one of the tests of a true prophecy is, can you live and die with that prophecy? Or is it just some fun-sounding thing that as soon as opposition arises, you fold like a, like a piece of paper? It's like, okay, I doubt that was the Word of God because you just, just collapsed. Uh, nonetheless, we'll read more about that here in just a moment on what took place. But again, as saying that, I, I, I don't want to discount that that can happen today, but I definitely know there's garbage happening today. People claiming to be prophecies and nothing more than fundraising activities, uh, uh, which is something that's going to come up in this book also. Okay, point uh, four. Uh, here it is right here. In accordance with the prophecies previously made about you. 
each of those words, you can see them in the Greek if you care to go back and look at the Greek, but I've got them broken down here. In accordance is the word kata. It means down, against, or according to. And it refer to the prophecies that came down or came against or came up on. In other words, Timothy is here. The ideal is kata. The Greek is kata. Timothy is here. And here's this prophecy that's coming not from not from a man, not from Paul, not from the elders, but maybe we're going to find out uh, in a moment, Paul or elders were involved in these prophecies, but this prophecy is coming from God and then through a person up on Timothy. In other words, here's Timothy and something from God, a word, a message uh, came through, was spoken by an apostle, by an elder. We could say they were prophesying and came down upon Timothy, giving him, it's going to be uh, a, a direction, it's going to be encouragement, it's going to be a, a preordained, this is what is going to take place. And Timothy can use it. So that's the word in accordance. B, the word prophecies, and that's plural. Uh, so it would be, here's a situation, and I'll give you a list here in a moment. It could be one time, like when Timothy... Uh, became a believer uh, maybe at his baptism he also as you know was circumcised now you understand why timothy was circumcised and titus was not circumcised which is interesting why, timothy paul's against the circumcision thing in the galatian church but right after they deliver the galatian letter or while they're delivering it he circumcises timothy because remember titus was a full gentile he's outside the covenant he there's their circumcision means nothing to Titus because the covenant of Israel was through Israel with Israel. And so Titus, that would mean nothing. But Timothy, uh, he was, his mom and his grandmother, who are mentioned in, the, in, in these letters, uh, they were Jewish. So Timothy was Jewish. So Timothy was circumcised in accordance with the law of the Jews because he was... You know, like Moses was circumcised, David was all the way through. They were circumcised. So Paul actually circumcised Timothy according to the covenant while they're delivering the Galatian letter, which is interesting because he still sees him as a member of the Jewish community uh, under the covenant. That's, that's just interesting, and you can argue about that. The fact remains, Paul circumcised Timothy when he became a believer and was going to go out on ministry. Uh, okay, anyway. These prophecies came down upon Timothy. Oh, I was going to say, they're plural. They could have happened at some moment, uh, or they could have happened at several times. I would like to think that as Timothy was moving in the church and it, with different elders and apostles, that these prophecies, plural, at least two, uh, happened at least two or three times at different places. It, we just know... It the elders were involved, Paul was involved, Paul's going to lay hands on Timothy, and these prophecies are plural. It could have been one time at his conversion, and two people prophesied very similar things. Or you could stretch it out that several people, more than one, Paul, a couple elders here, a couple elders here, at several locations over a period of time, prophesied, but the ideal is all these prophecies were pointing the same direction. They weren't like contradicting that everybody every time the prophecy came for timothy was saying this is where you're heading 
This is what you're going to confront. This is going to be the result. They're all pointing the same way. So Paul can say, not that one prophecy that made sense, the rest of them didn't make sense. He can say universally, the prophecies. When the Spirit of God spoke, if it was one time, but it was more than once, it all pointed the same direction. They were consistent, which again is more like the the divine prophecy or prophecies that they're going to be consistent. Nonetheless, uh, point C, 4C, previously made, NIV says once made, uh, making it sound like a one-time event. That's not necessarily accurate. The timing could be, here it is, Timothy's conversion, baptism, his setting apart in Acts chapter 16, or at at a time past or at a recent Ephesian church. It could have even happened again in the, the, the Ephesian church with the elders of Ephesus even prophesying to him that he is going to rise up among and be a leader or something. Uh, and so it, even the elders themselves in Ephesus may remember. That's when Paul mentions these prophecies. It's for Timothy. Everything being written in this book is for Timothy, but it's also a public letter that Timothy's going to walk in and say, this is what Paul wrote me. And he says something about the prophecies. You remember the prophecies. And the elders would say, yeah, we remember the prophecies. They, they may be involved in all this. Like when he names Hymenaeus and Alexander, it's like, who are these guys? Well, everybody knows Hymenaeus and Alexander. They know these guys. So this is not just written to Timothy. It's written for Timothy to show the people. Okay. Um, point D. Uh, oh, here. These are some verses. First of all, they might be fun to do this. Uh, see point F, Acts 13, 1 through 3. This is Paul and Barnabas. If we were to draw a map real quickly, Jerusalem's here, Antioch's here. Here's Asia Minor up here. Timothy's over here in Ephesus. Well, right here in Antioch is Paul and Barnabas. And uh, they're getting ready to go on their first missionary journey. This is right out of, this is, I'm giving you this so you get a biblical picture of something when, it, when Paul says the prophecies once made about you or the prophecies previously given. Uh, here's a potential example. Here it is. Acts 13, 1 through 3. Now, there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers. Again, you know, there were teachers explaining, and there were prophets speaking by divine revelation. Uh, Barnabas, Simeon, who is called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, now watch this one, Manaean, Manaean, Manaan, who was a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch. Now, Herod, I wrote this for, you, for us to know. Who's Herod the Tetrarch? <coughs> That's Herod Antipas. He's Herod's the great's son. He was in charge of Galilee up here and Perea over here, if this is Judea right here, where Jerusalem's at. He was in charge of Galilee and Perea. He is the one who arrested John the Baptist, put him in prison over here, and, uh, was it Macarius? Is that the name of, uh, are, do you know? Because <laughs> you know, I said the, the, the high priest's name wrong the other night, and so I said, it's like, I, I got there, it's like, and the high priest, ah, I said it, it's like, uh, anybody knows? <laughs> it's like you did. Jadua. Because as soon as the class was over, I was you that said something. It's like it's like Jadua. And I said, what did I say? <laughs> Jezebel or something? I don't know what I said. Uh, but je- yeah, je- yeah, I was I just I was like halfway there. But uh 
is that Macar Macar anyway, the, the fortress right over here, he, he would go down and listen to John preach, and then when his, his wife that he married from his a brother that John was preaching against asked for uh, John's head to be cut off, he, John's head was cut off here, and then Herod Antipas, or Her Antipas the Herod the Tetrarch, was down in Jerusalem for Passover when Jesus was on trial, and he, he, he interviewed Jesus, and Jesus didn't ask him. Well, anyway, in Acts chapter 13, verse 1 through 3, uh, now the church at Antioch, prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, one who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Man Manaan, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch. This is a life, this guy is in the book of Acts, he's in the church of Antioch, and he's a lifelong friend with the guy, the Herod the Great's son, who was the Tetrarch, he wasn't a king, he was a Tetrarch over Galilee and Perea. He cut off John the Baptist's head. He listened to John the Baptist preach. He heard Jesus, and he, he ruled from 4 B.C. to 39 A.D. So he's still ruling or still in power, or up until right about that time, he's been a lifelong friend. This guy knows, and he's a friend of him, and he's up here in the church of Antioch as a prophet or a teacher along with Barnabas and Paul, and he's got personal experience with not just like I met him one day on the streets, but you know, I, I, we've partied together. <laughs> you know, they've, they've been together. Uh, or whatever Herod the Tetrarch did. You know, shot clay pigeons or golfed or whatever. Uh, anyway, and Saul. So, that, isn't that interesting? Saul, who was persecuting the church, was with one of Herod the Tetrarch's friends and Barnabas, and they're all up here in the church of Antioch, and they're all prophesying, and they're teaching the church it's like what a what a collection of history would you like to just be there for a couple bible studies or church services like ask some questions nonetheless that's not the point that was just interesting while they were worshiping the lord and fasting the holy spirit said a pro now again it was like oh they're all just saying all of a sudden the voice comes like in the room it could have just a booming voice in the room what is that it's like what's well, god speaking it could have but because he mentions prophets more likely someone rose up and said something to the effect of thus saith the lord and the word was set apart for me barnabas and saul for the work to which i have called them then after fasting and praying they laid their hands on them and sent them off so the prophecy was right here from all this group and uh, you know a lifelong friend of herod the great son prophesies or is in the group that's prophesying these two guys set them apart they're going to be leaving, and I've got a work for them to do. So they all laid hands on and says, well, God's called you to something. And at that point, they're going to sail to Cy Cyprus and go up here into the first missionary journey. And uh, that's going to lead to the Jerusalem Council in 48 A.D. So that would be right around 46, 47 A.D. Okay, that was an example of people getting direction. And so while those guys are traveling, they know when, when well, Paul gets stoned and drug out of the city as if he's dead. He gets back up and says, well, God set me apart for a mission. i got to keep going. And he walked back into the city and kept preaching. And so that is, in a sense, the power of the prophecy. It's, it's the source of encouragement and direction. That's just an example. Now, going up to point D and E, we just read in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, Timothy. Now, <clears throat> later on in this book, chapter 4, verse 13 through 15, Paul, again, is going to refer to these, and I'm going to think they're the same, same subject. Until I come, he's talking to Timothy, 
same book, chapter 4, devote yourself to public reading of Scripture. So you're going to be going, to churches are meeting in houses. When you get there, read the Scriptures, which would be Old Testament, and they've already accepted the Gospels, and some of the letters have already been accepted as Scripture, and we can prove that. Do not, uh, public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, and that would be teaching. I, I, would, I would consider what I'm doing uh, you know, pushing into that category of exhort. We've read the scriptures and exhortation. It's like explaining, encouraging what, use this in your life. Like the things we're saying, I'm not just saying, well, here's a bunch of Bible information. Hopefully I'm giving you some Bible teaching, but also here's how it can affect you. But I, I know I'm not worried. I, like, I, I take my responsibility serious, but I also realize I'm dealing with the Word of God. I'm dealing with Christians who are born again with the eternal life of God in them and the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life, in your soul. So I'm just like up here just reading the text of Scripture, saying some points, thinking, well, what do you think? What, you know, what's happening in your life? I, you know, I, I don't know. I'm not like a, a puppet master. I'm just pouring gas on the fire and then it's like well okay we're done here go burn up you know and they go off and you you, you know i mean, not in a negative way uh think about this little light of mine i'm gonna let it shine type burning up okay until i come devote yourself to public reading of scripture to exhortation to teaching and then he says this do not neglect the gift you have again so he's got a gift do not neglect the gift now there's some kind of gift that would include that reading of Scripture, exhortation, teaching to the, the church. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy. And again, that by, it wasn't necessarily because the prophecy came, it, it created the gift, but it could be the gift you have that was, came along with a prophecy identifying the gift you have. Uh, do not neglect the gift you have which was given you by the prophecy when, when it happened, when the council of elders laid their hands on you. So now you've got elders or leaders of the church and they're laying hands on Timothy. The elders are laying hands and they're prophesying and they're identifying this gift and Paul is saying, you have this, and this is part of this letter, part of the, the, the command, the, what he's entrusting, the charge. You've got a gift. It involves, identified by the prophecy, you're, you're going to be reading, you're going to be exhorting, you're going to be teaching, and all of these are steps to stopping the false teaching. Do not neglect this gift. And again, prophecy, elders, they laid hands on you. You know it's true. And so that's coming up in this letter. Again, it gives you insight into what's referring to in chapter 1, verse 18. And then, again, 2 Timothy chapter 1, uh, verse 6. And this is, again, the second letter. He's going to write five, five years later, about five years later. He says, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God. He says, For this reason I remind you to fan into Ah, good. He used the word flame and fire too. All right, I was close. Fan into flame, this little light of mine, the gift. He says, you still have the gift. Five years later, you still have the gift, but uh, you're going to need to fan that thing in the, you know, fan that up. It's like he, he may be worn down. Or we don't know. I mean, he's, he's writing to encourage Timothy. 
He may have started to neglect it. In fact, there's a line in 2 Timothy. It says, uh, stop neglecting, or some translations say, do not neglect the gift you have. Or it can be, stop, like it's happening. Stop neglecting the gift. Put a little bit of pressure on this gift of teaching and exhortation. You've got some false teachers, got some criticism. It's like, yeah, I'll just, you know, I'll just do the service and the rituals and I won't get out. And it's like, no, 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 you're neglecting this. You're supposed to be you know exhorting you're supposed to be teaching you're supposed to be reading this yeah but there's a lot of opposition it's like and that gift starts being put away into a little box imagine how many people are called and equipped with this gift that the culture or the church or the climate or or you know clergy have poured water on it and have tried to squelch that gift uh that fan and flame that just you know take that and put some oxygen in that flame that that the gift is still burning it's just you know you're just trying to put it out anyway that's second timothy he says here it is for this reason i remind you to fan into flame the gift of god which is in you he says now this time through the laying on of my hands so besides the elders paul was here is it the same time or is it a different time at least these prophecies were plural it may be a couple different times it may be the elders in ephesus it may be paul whatever it is, but there are definitely more than one person, maybe an elder and maybe Paul, but they're laying hands, and that hands was not like a magical transference. Again, you can get crazy on this, and not that I fully understand the spiritual dimension, but the hands is like, it's like a, a ritual confirmation. This is what was said, and we all agree. It's like saying amen. What happens when you say amen? You're saying, so be it. I agree. Here's the prophecy from these elders, and they all laid hands as we all agree that we confirm this prophecy and this gift. And now Timothy, this, these guys are all gone. This moment is gone. The only thing remains is the gift. You still have the gift. Are you using it? I don't know. And then here's the prophecy. Remember what the prophecy, what they said that you're supposed to do with this. This is, this is past, but you can recall it. And you need to use this gift. And Paul is telling Timothy, you're here in this position because uh, you've got the gift. You are the man for this position. I know it. He's going to say later in 2 Timothy, I was there. I laid hands on you. But also, the prophecy from God that this is what you're supposed to be doing. D don't take your eye off that. And it, it does appear by five years later, by 2 Timothy, Timothy's, again, imagine facing what Timothy's got to face and not trying to you know, go into a shell. It's like, eh, I'll just stand over here. Now, again, I'm not saying he was that far gone. But nonetheless, that's the prophecies, and that's interesting to see that and now point five bottom of page two recall the prophecies and then why do you want to recall them the word is hina h-i-n-a that or in order that or so that which identifies the purpose or the present usefulness of the why do you want to recall the prophecies why well you know i think god called me and i had to tell this story it was there it was a uh, it was late in the evening, the shadows were setting in, the candles were burning, and the Spirit of God moved among the crowd. It's like, oh, what a great story. It's like, oh, it makes the hair on the back of my neck stand. No, that's not the purpose. It says, so that, so that why? If you read here, so that you may wage or fight the good warfare. The purpose of the prophecies was so Timothy could war the good warfare. The reason those prophecies came from God that were given to you, because you are going to war to fight the warfare. Those are the words. We'll look at them here real quickly. You're going to war. And again, spiritual battle. We can see it, 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 Ephesians 6. The battle is spiritual. 
it's not of the flesh and you're going to have this warfare that you need to engage in and the warfare is against the false teachers now how are you going to combat that you're going to go to war with there's your, your armor of god which includes specifically here the sword of the spirit which is the word of god the truth you're going to step out and go to war and start exposing these and slicing and dicing up all this false doctrine with exhortation with teaching with reading of scripture uh and so that's that would be his gift okay turn the page three uh by them point six by them it's a preposition meaning you know them the prophecies referring to the prophecies point c this means that timothy by no, i'll just read this point c that means that to timothy that by knowing these prophecies or by remembering these prophecies and this is what this is paul's this is what paul is talking he's there's a he could talk about the word of god he could talk about his experience he could talk about god's plan for eternity but he's talking right here he's talking about the prophecy you know what god said to you that by knowing these prophecies by remembering these prophecies timothy will be able to find encouragement he needs to continue the fight and direction on how to fight the fight when the opposition arises or the discouragement sets in, Timothy may recall the prophecies and realize this fight is not over or whatever the prophecies indicate to Timothy and Paul. I mean, we don't know what the prophecies were, but Paul's telling Timothy, you remember these and engage the battle. Um, and I would assume the pro prophecies were included some promise of divine help, some promise of direction, plan, some presence of God. And then here we go. You may wage the good warfare. The word good, this is worth looking at. This is worth looking at. The word good is basically a kalos, K-A-L-O-S, which means beautiful or good. It's used to say here of inward good or honorable character that, that is being manifest. The good warfare would be fought, a warfare fought in truth and faith for the truth and faith. And so the good warfare, how do you fight this warfare? It's going to be spiritual, but it's going to involve truth and it's going to involve faith meaning you're going to have to know the doctrine and you're going to have to oops believe the doctrine and going down here we look at this good context is further developed and this becomes very useful i think uh it, when it says holding to the faith and holding to a good conscience that's that's coming up uh, we can see it's uh, Ephesians 6, it's not, not physical, and 1 Timothy 6, 2, the fight for the faith. Fighting for the faith, it, it again, what you, what you know and, and what you believe. Uh, here's some verses written down here. Chapter, oh, chapter 6, verse 12, fight the good fight of the faith. 2 Timothy 2, 1 through 4, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust the faithful men who will be able to teach others. In other words, what Paul did for Timothy, Timothy's supposed to keep that going. Find other men to do the battle with you. Uh, share in the sufferings of a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets involved in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Uh, that's enough right there. We can go on down through that whole page. Page 4, very quickly. Chapter 1, verse 19. You're going to, because of those prophecies, you're going to wage the good warfare. You're going to be fighting against the heretics. And right here, verse 19, by holding faith and a good conscience. When you go to this warfare, and how, how, how is it going to be good? We, we talk, the good, kelos, 
the good warfare. What is the good warfare? He uses two words. It's going to be faith and a, a, a good conscience. Is that what it says? S-C-I-E-N-C-E. Is it good conscience? Yeah, yeah, good conscience. Uh, holding faith. That is, faith would be, I, I've said this already, just repeat now, I refer to it, belief, and this is, well, I'll say behavior. You're going to go out here and engage these false teachers, read the scriptures, exhort from the scriptures, teach the scriptures, and engage in battle. And how? What, what is your basis? You're going to have to do it in faith. You're going to have to believe the message. You're going to have to believe the doctrine, the sound doctrine. And you're going to have to have a good conscience. You're going to have to have behavior that matches the doctrine. And I'll read the rest of that verse, verse 119. Holding, holding to faith and a good conscience. Watch. By rejecting these, rejecting what? Rejecting faith, sound doctrine, or rejecting a good conscience, correct behavior, some have made shipwreck of their faith. They've taken, uh, they've taken faith. Again, we'll talk about this too. They've taken faith. Is it the faith or it's their faith? They've taken the faith. They've taken Christianity in Ephesus, way it's perceived by the community, by the church, and have shipwrecked it. The, they take it out, and the wind and the waves have dashed it to pieces and crashed it on the rocky coast, and there's pieces of the ship on the shore floating in the water. The Christian faith is just a disaster because they've destroyed the faith because of their behavior, their, their, false, their, their corrupt doctrine, false teaching, and their evil behavior. And now Christianity, the faith, has been destroyed in Ephesus. Again, that can make sense. You can, imagine, you, you can see it in America, the faith. I, I, when you tell someone, I'm a Christian, now, again, depending on where they're at and what they understand, if it can be like, oh, and they just laugh at you because it's like, oh, I suppose you follow, and then they list this. You, you probably do this. You probably... And it's like, because it, it, it's been destroyed. It's been shipwrecked. It's been destroyed by the wind and the waves of the culture. Smash it. It's like, I am a Christian. <laughs> and they don't even take it serious. It's like, what a joke. That's the last thing you want to say. Not because you're embarrassed of Jesus Christ or the Word of God, but because it's like, because of Alexander and Hymenaeus. It's like, oh, do you go to Hymenaeus' church? <laughs> it's like, because the, we, we would like to think, this is something we've got to be careful of, they were unbelievers, the, the city of Ephesus. It was a pagan culture. They worshipped Artemis, but they had morality. Now, they, had a, they weren't just all running around naked doing drugs and you know, what, you know, whatever you want to think of being immoral. They, they had, there is proper place in society for different people. It may be what we'd say evil or that's not correct, but they had morality. You Women would act this way. Men would act this way. There was law. There was order. It was a functioning economy in a functioning city, in a functioning society. They weren't just wicked, crazy people running around naked doing drugs. But you bring in Hymenaeus and this false doctrine and the false behavior, the Ephesians would go like, I don't want my daughter dating a Hymenaeus. Or you go to Hymenaeus' youth group, yeah, my daughter's not going to date you. It's like, why? I keep my daughter pure. And it's like, so it could be the faith was being destroyed by Hymenaeus and Alexander. They're going to be mentioned. Or it could be not the faith. It could be 
their faith. Because they've rejected, again, it, it can go either way. Uh, there, there's a right answer to this. I'm just giving you your choices on this. It could be they've, they've rejected faith or correct doctrine. They have their own, they have their own doctrine. Uh, and they now defend their corrupt behavior. I mean, you can imagine taking scriptures, twisting them, and then justifying your behavior, whatever it is. Well, the Bible says, and now they're li living in a wicked way, and so their faith, their Christian faith, has been destroyed because they've got poor doctrine and corrupt behavior. Okay. Holding on to faith. Paul is supposed to, or Timothy's supposed to fight the good fight of faith, holding on to, or the good fight of faith, yes, the warfare of faith. Holding faith and a good conscience. Again, true doctrine, correct behavior. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith. Uh, I write these things down. I think I've explained it. It is all written down there. Point 1A, holding faith. Uh, faith could be, okay, I, there it is. I wrote that all, said that all right there. Holding the good conscience, all that's been said. Uh, the book begins by identifying the importance of these two, faith and good works, in chapter 1, verse 6. I'm not sure why I wrote two sixes there. Chapter 1, verse 6. This is how the book begins, chapter 1, verse 6. The aim of our charge, the aim of this charge that he's giving Timothy in chapter 1, verse 6, I tell you to get in here and teach doctrine and stop the false teachers. Our aim of this is to produce love. And again, love is not hearts and valentines. Love is the character of God. He says our goal for this command for you in Ephesus, the reason I'm putting it there, is love, chapter 1, verse 6, uh, with that issues from, and this love is going to come from a pure heart. We know this, we've read this already. A pure heart, which means innocent before God. You're standing before God innocent. Uh, a good conscience, meaning your behavior is correct. And a sincere faith, you've got, you actually believe, you're not hypocritical, you believe the doctrine. Uh, certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussions. They've wandered from the faith. They've gone into vain discussions. They're still teaching, but it's crap. Well, that crap is going to produce poor behavior, and a pure heart before God is not possible, and they're not heading towards love. Uh, they're not, so you've got to stop that process. And so that's how the book begins. This is, in a sense, repeating that very beginning. Uh, point three, the word rejecting. Some have rejected these. It means to thrust away. You can see the breakdown of the word, a po, a fail. But they've, they've thrust away true doctrine. They've pushed it away. And here's good moral behavior. Push it away. I've got my own doctrine, which means I can behave this way. Uh, some refers to the false teachers. And then point page five on page five. Concerning the faith have caused a shipwreck. And this, right there, point five, that's where I break down. They've shipwrecked the faith in Ephesus. I mean, the Christian testimony is worthless. Or they've shipwrecked their personal faith. They're, they're destroying themselves. Uh, point, chapter 1, verse 20. Among the, whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I've handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Now, these are two people that Paul knows, Timothy knows, and he sticks their, their names in this letter, which means the people are going to know. How would you like to be Hymenaeus? Oh boy, I better look at how to spell that. Hymen, oh, it's so close. A-E-U-S. Hymenaeus, I think I do Alexander all by myself. But I'm going to check because who knows. Okay. 
this letter's coming in, and how would you like to be in this letter? I mean, how, how would I like to get a letter from an apostle and says, among those having Bible classes, Galen and somebody else? It's like, what? It's like, I hope I would not be on this list. But that's, that's what it's like. It's like he's got a Bible study, and he's teaching his stuff, and he's practicing certain behaviors. He's got a Bible study, or they're involved. And it's like, no, these guys are wrong. Uh, a couple things about these. Bottom of page five. Paul publicly names two individuals who have corrupted their doctrine and their moral behavior. Again, I emphasize, not only do they have bad doctrine, you can tell they've got bad doctrine because of their bad behavior. Even the Ephesian community may be looking at these guys going, that ain't right. I mean, it's, it's one thing when the pagans look at the Christians and go, that ain't right. <laughs> that doesn't look very moral. So there is a level of Christianity should be shine a brighter light than the pagan society, but it is possible that Christianity can drop to the level that's below pagan society. And they justify it with some text of Scripture somewhere. Um, and then Paul's reference to certain persons or some that have made shipwreck. Here's now is two examples. This chapter, the book, chapter begins, or the book begins, uh, certain persons among you. Well, there's two of them right here. They're being named. Uh, Hymenaeus, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 18. I'll read through this very quickly. About five years later, in 67 AD, when Paul writes Timothy again from prison in Rome a second time, he says in chapter, chapter 2, verse 18, I think it's 17, 18, 19, avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. Now stop right there. Look, irreverent babble replaces sound doctrine so you replace hopefully i'm teaching you sound doctrine if i'm giving you irreverent babble today it's going to lead you instead of sound doctrine leading you into moral behavior godly behavior the godly nature irreverent babble is going to lead you into right here more and more ungodliness so hymenaeus and certain teachers are not teaching sound doctrine they're teaching irreverent babble they're teaching you know endless genealogies and and myths and all these stories and visions they may have saw and it's irreverent it's that that's not correct and the people that are listening are becoming more and more ungodly you're further ahead you're closer to godly behavior just worshiping at the temple of artemis but now you become a christian and listening to hymenaeus oh my gosh go back to artemis you're closer to reality than you are with hymenaeus I made that up. I'm using that. I don't know if that's exactly historical correct, correct. But Timothy's not, or Paul's not very happy with it. Uh, and, but he's not encouraging them to return to the temple of Artemis. That's not, that's not the point. Uh, avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their, I'm reading scripture now, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Because this, don't you wish the word of God would spread like gangrene? Not like a disease, but like it just keeps spreading. And it does certain times in history, but sometimes it seems like you're just plowing a rocky field. You just keep teaching and teaching, and once in a while a little crop will pop up. But this right here, this false teaching that's irreverent babble is becoming more and more ungodly. It matches the human nature. It's like, yes, this is exactly what we want to do. And it spreads like gangrene. It's like it wants to deteriorate. Among them are, this is 67 AD, five years later. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth. We've seen that before. And here it is, saying that the resurrection has already happened. 
So one of the things Hymenaeus is saying five years later, the resurrection already, it's already a reality. Now, resurrection has already happened. Now, again, Jesus' resurrection has already happened, but we're waiting for the great resurrection or the resurrection from the dead. Of all, Daniel talked about it. Isaiah talked about it throughout the New Testament. This would be an end-time event that ends this age. That would be we're justified by faith in Christ, we're now in the process of being sanctified, renewing our minds so we become, we think and act like God in this age. We've been justified. We're being sanctified at the resurrection. We'll be glorified. We'll be complete. Our bodies will be pure and resurrected. He's teaching in 67 AD, he's teaching the resurrection's already happened. You've been justified. You've been sanctified. You're already perfect. In fact, the resurrection has happened, you've already been glorified. You, again, I'm not sure exactly how it goes, but eventually we can find in church history, early church, first century, second century, you're already glorified. You can't sin. In fact, the world is yours. It's like God's grace is so great, you can't sin. Eat, drink, and be merry. We're in the kingdom. It's like, well, hallelujah. It's like, that's a, I mean, are the, are the, People with bad doctrine are going to embrace that kind of teaching. And so something like that is being taken place in 67 AD. I've got to wrap this up. Uh, and it spreads like gangrene, destroying the body. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. But God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are his, and let anyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. So it, apparently this was leading to, we'll say iniquity, I, I can't spell, I'll write sin, was leading to sin, but Paul is saying, don't let that shake you, Timothy. The Lord knows those who are his. Those that are his are going to go like, uh, I don't think so, and they're going to say, I don't think this is true, I'm not going to live like this. Those that are just going through the motions, they have a hypocritical faith, they're, just, they're like, really? I love that, and they're going to rush over here. They haven't lost their salvation because the Lord knows they're him. They're permanent. But those that drift after this false teaching, it, it never was. It's like a sword. It's like it divides. Here's, here, in fact, we can see in the, God, God will send false teachers among them. Here, here's a false teacher. What, what, why does God allow that? Separate. Because those who are true believers like, that ain't true. That's not what God wants. And they go away. Those that are not believers are like, yeah, that's exactly what I think. Why? Because you're not a believer. Well, I got a cross necklace. I, I, I go to church. I'm on the board. It's like, but you've never embraced truth. And, and they go straight. I've got to quit with this. Here's more about Alexander. And then, of course, the whole conversation being handed over to Satan. And I'll quit with this. They're being handed over to Satan. And it's very clear. You see the word. You look at the word there. For disciplinary reasons so that they would return to be taught they're being to it, it's it may be harsh it may be physical discipline we'll talk about that more next week but the ideal is that hymenaeus would realize his failure and come back it's like getting a glimpse into hell and going wait a minute let me reconsider my doctrine and coming back and many people even if they saw into hell they would not turn um but that's kind of what it is it's 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 not he's not handing him over he, paul's not handing him over to damnation Jesus Christ will do that someday. Paul's handing them over to Satan for, well, just have your way with them and see how they like it. And they'll eventually like, this is a disaster. My life is falling apart. 
and they'll rush to Christ for salvation. Or they won't notice the difference. They'll just they'll go to their... Okay, I got to quit. I appreciate you being here. We'll clean this up next week and then start chapter 2. Father, we thank you for the chance to look into these things. We ask that we ourselves would receive direction and encouragement from the Word of God, that we would hold and embrace true doctrine, that we would search for it, but also, Father, that we'd allow that to transform our lives, our thoughts, and our actions to do the things you've called us to, to be the people you've called us to, and live a righteous life, being sanctified at this very time in history. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for being here. Thank you for your time.